But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas' idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Give Us a Second. A mini-sode series. Brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 35th Give Us a Second 2019 in review part two. We're coming right back at you with numbers five through one. It's true. We're back. On our top ten lists of 2019. Like we said, we'd be back. As mentioned in part one, we will be doing a part three at oh, some right. point, yeah. where we talk about the Oscars, which we could not help ourselves but start talking about <laughs> in part one, even Hard though not to, yeah. I think one of the first things I said was, we'll We're save it, this. Yeah. and then cut to ten more minutes well, of talking you know, about it. Tangents. Yeah, it's impossible not to get wrapped up in this shit, and even though you know it's dumb to start caring too much and losing your cool about it, yeah. And next thing you know, you sound just like the crazy people who are tweeting nonstop <laughs> about Joker every five seconds. Oh, uh, yeah. Cancel greatest moments. You've lost your mind. So let's just jump right into it. I don't really care if this is shorter than 10 through 6 or longer or whatever. We yeah. might as well not waste any time. I'm good with that. We ended with me doing my number six, Little Women. So let's jump to your number five. My number five, the Netflix vehicle. But we did see it in the theater. Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, the whole gang back together. I have this at number three. Okay. But we'll talk about it now. Kind of in the same realm, I guess. Uh, yeah, so I think we both really liked it. I mean, it's a great movie. Listen, <laughs> we have great actors. We have a great director. It's hard to argue anything, but this is a really good movie. Um, for me, I found it to be a little bit less on the suspense side that I've always found Scorsese so good at doing and it can be pretty dry at times and i do think a part of that is just like the age factor not just the fact that the director and actors are older dudes at this point but it's kind of about older people it's a much different film than goodfellas at casino yet it does feel like the appropriate third act it's a much more thoughtful contemplative meditation on choice yes how the choices affect us the repercussions how they affect our family and also the passage of time and almost like a much more serious and better but almost like a Forrest Gump like passage through American history as told through the eyes of these gangsters and uh, union people and and the Jimmy Hoffa story and the Kennedys and all this stuff and there's not as much of a rock and roll element like there was in totally. Goodfellas. There's no rollicking soundtrack. Even the big set piece of the movie, right. the big moment, is so quiet. Yeah, there's yeah. no music, and it's it, very deliberate. That is like the one sequence where it felt like it had some element of suspense leading up to it. And then the last 30 minutes or so are this sad reckoning of what this kind of life leaves you with yeah absolutely where he frank sheeran the main character played by de niro he's tried so hard to protect his daughters and think that he's providing them with some sort of life and yet he's left with 
nothing. His daughter. Oh yeah, don't they don't talk him, to him, and he dies alone, and it's no sad. one cares. It's like the end of Godfather Part Three. <laughs> yeah, it is reminiscent of other. I think the acting is, stories that have gone this deep with it is great. Of course, I actually think Pacino as Hoffa is like unbelievable in it. I thought he was like really good. It's it's definitely it feels like a comeback year for Pacino between this and his small part in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He got nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for The Irishman, as did Joe Pesci. Yeah. Shockingly, De Niro did not get nominated for Best Actor, but it's a pretty stacked year in the actor category. Sure is. I think maybe I had a little bit of expectations around... We haven't seen Pesci in a while. He's the guy that's always been this like crazy, eccentric, charismatic guy in the Scorsese movies a Ralph Cifaretto if you will well I and feel like Scorsese was doing his own David Lynch thing and kind yeah. of messing with I, I, expectations I agree. Yeah. and I think I think there was a menace to right. Pesci's character but much more understated I heard that they added the scene with him with the blood on his shirt with his wife remember when oh, he yeah. comes home right. I think they added that because they wanted to make it clear that there was a threat there, but like yeah, yeah. there w- there wasn't really a scene to actually show it. But Pesci is the right guy, totally, because of his rep from other movies. Oh yeah, so you're always kind of wary of like what he's gonna do. And it was cool to like just see him in this again. The aging technology certainly uh, played pretty well. It takes well. some getting used to for sure. Yeah, at first it's a little jarring. I can't say that it was always. 100% successful because sometimes it just does look like they're still old men but with like makeup and, R- true. or something like it does it doesn't always look right but you get used to it and you put it out of your head I think it's the right third act of this gangster trilogy yeah. between these guys it was a it tells uh, the right story with the right message I think so it was definitely a long haul in the theater it was a long ride it was but other movies that are much shorter seemed to drag on more okay like it moved i for won't me. disagree with that and i yeah. did rewatch it on netflix and and i think again it's one of those movies that it's so overwhelming because of the length that when you rewatch it you do pick up on different things true like I, what I would probably this means what that, that yeah. means connecting it to different stuff you just notice more things and pick up on more things okay number, number five, five for you. uncut gems oh yeah so i had this as my number two i was so high on uncut gems Directed by Benny and Josh Safdie. This movie, yeah, I, I well, Insane. my top for me, my top five are all right, very high. It's all it exactly. is like yeah, a, right. a delineation between ten through six and and the top five. It's like it definitely goes up a level for me. This movie's like nonstop tension. Oh yeah, you recommended it on the show very recently. It comes on the heels of Good Time, which was not the Safdie's first movie, but I think it was like their first breakthrough that really started to get buzz and they've started to perfect this style of anxiety <laughs> yeah. tension they were courting sandler for years this is a script that they've wrote a while ago sandler turned it down i think multiple times wow. at one point jonah hill was gonna play howard ratner the lead character and then after sandler saw a good time he agreed to do it and sandler gives probably oh, the great. best performance of his career yeah right? i would say it's even better than punch drunk love which some people hate. I, I'm a fan of that movie, but this is like a whole other level. Oh, yeah. Like, just the biggest slime ball, dirt ball, really just horrible dude making horrible decisions. Yeah, it's an endless series of reckless decision making, bad bets, 
etc and yet because it's sandler you kind of stay on his side for yeah, most of it totally lakeith stanfield has a supporting role kevin garnett plays himself yeah. mike francesa is a bookie newcomer julia fox just looking unbelievable. good really yeah if anything film makes- twitter's new waifu yeah <laughs> if anything makes me continue to root for the sandler character it might be her the thing I've heard, though, from actual degenerate gamblers is that the parlay he makes at the end of the film is not anything you could actually bet at a casino. It's yeah. too ridiculous. The, the Having that many variables? Something, I don't know what the specifics are, but I know part of it was like the opening tip and all that stuff. It just it would never happen. It's not a real thing. Yeah. I've seen that pop up multiple times. But other than that... We've certainly heard about it talked about by different guys that i don't know whether it's comedians or maybe people on the stern show or whatever like i think Artie lang <laughs> comes to mind <laughs> but it's just this idea of having like you only have a certain amount of dollars to your name yet you have more than that riding on the game that night <laughs> you, well, know? you know right off the bat because he gets this opal from ethiopia oh yeah this gem and kevin garnett is in his store kevin garnett wants to borrow it to, for good luck for this game he doesn't really want to do it, but then he ends up trading for Garnett's Celtics championship ring as like pawning collateral, it, like collateral. Yeah, right. like you'll come back and give the opal back to me because he thinks the opal's worth over a million dollars. Immediately takes the Celtics championship right. ring and pawns it for like <laughs> twenty thousand dollars. Insane, yeah. And starts making bets with that money, and right. you're like, oh no. Yeah. And that's just dipping your toe into like how crazy it all gets. I know. And because of the way the movie is set up, even things that don't feel inherently dangerous start to feel very suspenseful. Oh, yeah. Like when his son comes upstairs at the apartment building and he's like knocking on other people's doors. So trying to get his son to use the bathroom in a different apartment because the woman that he's cheating on his wife, his wife's played by Adina Menzel, like she's been staying at the apartment. So he doesn't know if she's there or what's going on. So he's trying to get his son to go somewhere else. It's just like it's an endless thing. Oh, it's just nonstop chaos. And I mean, I love these dudes, the Safdie brothers, like what they use for their soundtracks for their movies. I mean, yeah, the score is just amazing. I think it's shocking that this didn't get any nominations at the Academy Awards, which again speaks to what I said in part one when we were talking about The Farewell and just A24 striking out for the most part feels like they just didn't do the right kind of stuff because this seems like, okay... It's a stacked acting year. Sandler has a bad reputation. It's not the most shocking thing. I mean, bad reputation as an actor, not as a human being. Oh, right, yeah. I think people like Sandler. But, you know, he's a goofball, and his movies are generally not known for acting. Yep. I can buy him not get landing that nomination. But to get nothing for this movie? I know. That seems crazy. And I know people are mad about the lack of women and, and some of the diversity, but right off the bat, I feel like uncut gems getting nothing is the biggest snub more so than no women directors and more so than any of the acting stuff or whatever it just i don't know that would be my top snub of the year it just, yeah it's totally crazy. yeah like i said i i had it as my number two i i loved it i just thought it was such a crazy movie and i i'm really into the safety brothers in such a way now so ready to see what they do next so that was my number five. What's your number four? So I had the Scorsese movie at number five, and then I had the guy who's sort of operating in the old Scorsese genre, Todd Phillips' Joker. A movie that four. Scorsese was going to produce at one point and then pulled out. It was maybe a little too on the nose with him producing. 
Well, he's. I mean, he said that he was just too busy with That's the Irishman. Like, that would have been, I guess, it is, you know, Spielberg produced J.J. Abrams' Super 8, which is yeah. kind of like the same type of idea. Joker is like kind of a combination of Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy with even a, a more darker edge to it. Well, Taxi Driver's pretty dark, but you know what oh, I mean. Oh, yeah, right. It's wrapped in a villain origin story from yeah. one of the more famous characters of our time, I guess. Totally, totally. And I know that there's obviously all sorts of negative buzz around this, but I mean... <laughs> the people yeah. just tweeting endlessly about this movie and how terrible it is and it, how somehow it represents all of these things that aren't actually in the movie. And... I do still think it's wild. First, that they were able to make a movie that's still part of the comic book... Landscape. Uh, right, landscape, <laughs> like this dark and this fucked up, and that it made so much money still and was like successful... There's no other precedent, in my opinion, to how much money this movie made for this type of movie. It's That's not crazy. just yeah. an R-rated movie. It's just a grim, bleak assessment of humanity that is very hopeless feeling, and it's just not the tone of a movie you would think would generate a billion dollars. Absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, it, it is really well done. I think there's a lot going on here <laughs> that uh, I don't think it's stuff that should be ignored, that... There are a lot of people dealing with very serious issues that lead people to make very menacing, poor choices. Yeah, I do think that uh, one thing that's missed is this movie is very anti-consumerism and capitalism. It's it's very much about the lack of support for people with mental illness. But that stuff sort of gets dismissed pretty quickly because it's a white man who resorts to violence and guns and people don't care sure. i guess i don't know people are very against this movie i don't actually believe in my heart that most of them are i think they just pick up the narrative and run with it and then they can well for sure that yeah this is real no question i don't think this movie represents all of these things that people think it does I think part of it is that Todd Phillips made some comments people didn't agree with before the movie came out, and that really just set everything off. And then there was a coordinated media attempt to destroy this movie. It just was endless articles from various news outlets trying to keep people out of the theater, acting like there was going to be a mass shooting, which never happened. The reviews were initially very positive, and then all of a sudden... The Rotten Tomatoes score, which was certified fresh at one point, I swear to God. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it wasn't certified oh, anymore no. after uh, more and more reviews were pouring in, which of course speaks to them just allowing all of these people into yeah. the Rotten Tomatoes world that weren't there you know, a few years ago. No one has less cred than the modern film, film critic. Yeah, yeah, right. Film I, Twitter is I mean, it's just a disaster horrible, at this point. And I, mean, I, I just so rarely find myself believing them. Good or bad. It, well, yeah, it, not just even people reviewing things, but just these endless takes about everything. It's just like, oh, Yeah. It's exhausting. And they failed. Yeah. They picked the wrong fight because most of the time they pick these fights that they know they'll win because people don't care enough or it's an easy win. They picked this fight and they lost. This movie was a runaway success. And the fans of the Joker or the Batman or the DC stuff all like it. There are some legitimate negative reviews. I mean, I, sure, I don't really yeah, care it, if people it, right. don't like it or like it. It's not really about assessing the quality of the movie. It's more the prejudicial treatment of the movie. Then to top things off, it's been nominated at every award show and it got the most Academy Award nominations, which is hilarious. 
That's a hilarious turn of events. Then yeah. it walked away with 11 nominations. That now, is crazy. Is it going to win a lot of Oscars? I don't think so. I, I doubt think, it. Yeah, I wouldn't think. I would and pencil I don't it, think it in for at least two. Yeah, I don't think it deserves 11 wins. No, and I mean, like, True Grit was, like, nominated for, like, 10 and won zero, I think. Right, You know, like, yeah. just the amount of nominations don't necessarily mean anything. But, it's. I mean, it's going to win Best Actor, and it's probably going to win Best Score. It might pick up a few of the other technicals. But what that says to me is that the Academy loved this movie, and that is not just one group of voters. Because the people who vote to nominate things are all in the different wings. The editors vote for the editors. The makeup people vote for the makeup people. Directors vote for directors. Cinematographers vote for them. And so all across, all of the different 11 different categories, including Best Picture, which accounts for everyone, this dominated, and so that just means it's loved across every section of the and academy. I think you gotta give Todd Phillips credit for how much of a tonal shift for him career-wise. Like, well, he says he's not making comedies anymore, which is what led to a lot of this in the first place, because he said like you can't do comedy in this politically correct world, which well, I think yeah. is what sent everyone off the edge. Right. Even though I kind of agree, agree. with that. Yeah, but I mean, still, because his last movie was what War Dogs. With We've seen Miles Teller and Jonah Hill. Oh, yeah, that's right. But we've seen people sort of be able to operate within one genre and then try something different and it not work that well. (laughs) But I just feel like this is a huge swing to go this dark. Yeah. And I just think it it works. Well, it was the right character at the right time because DC is so hit or miss with success. They've had huge successes like Aquaman and Wonder Woman, but they've had huge disappointments like the Superman stuff and the Justice League and the like the Green Lantern if you want to go far enough back. Oh wow, yeah. They just haven't been able to recreate Marvel's success. And so they were more open to like one-off movie ideas that aren't part of a larger narrative now because they're like, "Well, fuck it." Yeah, right. As long as this the budget stays reasonable, and I think the budget was like 40 million or something, which for a superhero movie is very low. And it paid off, and now they're probably going to do more Joker movies or something. It seems like they weren't going to do sequels. Now they probably will. Yeah, and that's, for me, I, I was fine with this. just this as like a, a, a standalone entry. Do you think this will parlay into a big success for this Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie? I'm I've, not I've sure. I've seen people uh, estimating that it's going to open to a $100 million weekend. For I would me, be stunned uh, by that. Margot Robbie being in it is enough. Yeah, like, they they've added got my, Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the mix. I'm, I'm, all, yeah. I'm all on board. I think it might be rated R as well, although okay. I'm not sure. Uh, did you say what you had this at? I don't have it on my list. It's not in your top ten at all? No. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you this had a lot movie of passion is about offensive. It. Yeah. It's transphobic. <laughs> it's racist. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, it was one of my last cuts. Yeah. I would say that when I rewatched all these movies, including the Joker movie, I found myself looking at the phone at a certain point uh, it's hard to like maintain your interest through it the second time sure which okay. i think hurt I can it that, in yeah. my eyes i am blown away by joaquin phoenix's performance but yeah story-wise i was disinterested the second time through gotcha. once you figure out once you know the gimmicks i'm not gonna spoil the gimmicks and but we talked about it there's some Fight Club-esque yeah. gimmicks to some of this stuff. For and sure, once you yeah. know that stuff, it's kind of not interesting anymore. And it is interesting because I, I want to say that this movie was in my top five of the year it came out. But it- his character, it is kind of a similar feel to You Were Never Really Here, which also starred Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. I also had that higher, I think, as well in my list that year. And this did feel like 
retreading the same thing. Sure. But I still really liked it, though. My last, as I told you before we started recording, I did have 12, and I was originally going to do two ties yep. in the top 10, and then I decided not to do it. And the two that I cut, might as well say them now, Joker and Dolomite is my name. I cut those out of the top 10. Gotcha. My number four is Under the Silver Lake, directed by wow. David Robert Mitchell. This movie, I totally whiffed on it the first time I saw it and didn't really get it. And I can't recommend it to people for that very reason, because I think you need to watch it several times to really start to get it. This actually kind of worked out because just like me having Joker and you not, because I, Under the Silver Lake, I had on my list until yesterday. I I don't know. I started to feel like... Bumped it for Hustlers. uh, No. The only things that were solid were one and two. I knew and I, hustlers I knew it was number one. And <laughs> Everything I knew else was I in flux. <laughs> yeah, right. And Hustlers was a solid 10. But because I do really enjoy Under the Silver Lake, and there's a lot to take out of it, I just started feeling like, I don't know. It's just so fucking weird, too. That there I, are I, parts of it that you wish weren't in it. Yeah. Because it is two hours and 20 minutes, and you're like, well, there's definitely 15 minutes you could cut out of this, and, yeah. and it would streamline it. But I think when you watch it the first time, you're very... And, okay, we should say this is the follow-up to It Follows. Right. So there was kind of a lot of excitement around this director. It opened at Cannes Film Festival. We saw trailers for it for, like, I don't know, a year and a half before it finally came out. I think talked about it on this podcast for a movie that we were, like, most excited about. The initial screenings at Cannes did not go super well. The reaction was very mixed. And A24, to bring them up again, I think they panicked a little bit. They wanted him to recut the film. He wouldn't do it. And they sat on it for a while. They kept delaying it and then eventually just dumped it out into a few theaters with like the straight-to-VOD situation. Sure. And like I said, I can't really recommend it because I think to really get it, you're going to have to watch it more than twice, and that's a big commitment to ask, so I wouldn't. It's like too old to die young. It's like, I can't really recommend this to other people. You have to be very into this kind of thing. Well, And And I think most people would watch this movie and not get it, myself included. Sure, yeah. Because like I said, I whiffed the first time, and it wasn't until I read a few pieces about it, like AV Club's piece, and listened to Brady Snell's talk about it, and find some sources to piece some of it together. And then I started to understand what was important in this movie and what it was really about. And I was so one track minded on the noir story of the missing girl played by Riley Keough that I wasn't seeing everything else. Right. And then when you finally find out what happens to her, you're like, oh. And you're getting so caught up into all the weird symbols and trying to piece it together. Like it's all going to be one coherent story. Yeah. And And it's deliberately not right. (laughs) Because and it's I think the idea is like seeing things that aren't there. I think a lot of it has to do with loneliness. and Yeah, and uh, it's simultaneously mocking that idea of all of these symbols and things and codes and conspiracies while at the same time playing into it for the effect of the movie, which is confusing and thus makes it very complex and hard yeah. to understand because how are you able to simultaneously make fun of it and parody it while giving into those delusions and late leading him on all these weird paths? It's like, well, do these things mean anything or not? Right. I don't know. And it does kind of have that feel of a sophomore effort of a director who had an unexpected hit and then took a huge swing. Totally. And in my opinion, this is much more successful than things like Southland. Well, from, absolutely, yeah. From Richard Kelly. 
And one of the other things I thought was cool about it, at least in my take, was I feel like in an age where we have our love letters to to Hollywood with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and like a La La Land, I kind of felt like there was some seedy truths to some of the people. Dude living in his 20s in this life, he has no money. There's all these women who are attempting to be actresses who are now call girls. There's yeah, a lot there's more a, darkness around. Yeah, there's a cynical side to it, and Garfield gives his best performance since Andrew Garfield, I should say. I don't think we specified. He That's true. gives his best performance since The Social Network, and he's playing a complicated character. He's not easily recognizable as a creep. And I don't know if he necessarily is a bad guy, but right. he's your standard lonely dude leering at women. There's like some male gaze shots in this film intentionally so which i don't think everyone really understood that he's not supposed to be this pure at heart great guy he's not like a bad guy either but he's just kind of a loser who is going through this emotional time that is not immediately clear and you kind of have to piece it together as to what is going on in his life and some of the most significant scenes of the movie I ignored like the first time I watched it because you don't know that those are the significant scenes. Oh, yeah. Until you get to the end. And then at the end, when you find out what happens to Riley Keough, it's kind of like a wake up call of like, well, this none of that really mattered. True. I mean, to compare it to a movie I did not really like, Paper Towns, <laughs> it's not that different. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That, that's true. Um, but instead of their Paper Towns, there's nothing else. It's just that story. And no one's getting murdered in and Paper then Towns. Uh, it's which unresolved. Is, yeah. There's no like commentary about something else going I think on and all this other stuff. The big thing that deterred me at the end, like thinking about this, because there is a lot there that I really liked about this movie. And I'm actually like really interested to see... <laughs> If this director gets another he's, chance. If he's ever allowed to direct yeah, again. <laughs> because I, I do think that there's more good stuff in him. But I was a little bit off put by like what stuff I can't really figure out is real. Yeah. There's so much stuff in this movie. And yeah. there's definitely parts of it that don't seem like it's actually happening. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that kind of speaks to some of the stuff that like I wouldn't have minded not being there. But it's an ambitious thing. Totally. That is in the same vein as... Like, I don't know, it's not too dissimilar from, like, Inherent Vice or Brick or Big Lebowski or things like that. It's kind of the stoner noir genre that I think does appeal to a certain audience. But like I said, I think most people would be annoyed, and that's why I can't necessarily recommend it unless you're willing to, like, really dive into it all. It's not your typical movie to just to say like to anyone like hey check this out sure, most yeah. people you know are going to be like oh god right <laughs> and i did i you know i i love some of the uh hitchcock references in it the the rear window oh, stuff just, that they're doing from his porch is to awesome. the gills yeah. with all kinds of references yeah it's, it's really totally. for like movie nerds and absolutely yeah ass clowns like us yep so let's do your number three my, i think your number three is probably going to be my, my number, number three was a movie that we saw in theaters together. I think came up as a recommendation. Parasite. Yes, that is my number two. Yeah. I went in there with no expectation, so I didn't know like what the fuck this movie was. Has one of the crazier twists <laughs> in, in a movie that I've ever seen. Yeah, let's not reveal the twist. Sure. But yes, and it is best to go into this movie not right. knowing anything about it if you can. Did you not even want me to say that there is a twist? No, no, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Outside of even the twists. I think there's multiple twists, Well, surely. Really. Yeah. A lot of, obviously, social commentary going on throughout it. 
but it, it's entertaining. It's a rush the whole time. It's funny. Yeah, it changes genres. I think throughout the movie, it keeps you off balance with the tone, but in a good way. And ultimately, yeah, it's weird. This yeah. is Bong Joon Ho's movie, and I think ultimately at the center of it, there's simplicity wrapped in complexity. And yeah. the simplicity is a very basic idea of the pitfalls of capitalism and class structure and the differences between the haves and the have-nots. But it's more complex in that, A, it's a twisty story with a lot of things you don't see coming, but also the complexity of the characters where it's done so well that the rich characters aren't kind of your generic rich equals bad type people. It's better to describe them as nice because they're rich, Okay, if, if you yeah, get what right. I'm saying. Yes. They have the luxury of that. And the poor characters start turning into shitheads yeah. the longer it goes on. And it's such a daring move to make your protagonist characters, essentially, less likable as they go along, doing things that are like morally questionable and if you notice some of the, I mean, we'll maybe touch on a little bit of okay, spoilers, yeah. but if you notice some of the subtleties of when they go back to their neighborhoods later in the film, how they treat their neighbors versus how they were treating them at the beginning, right. just you pick up on all these little different subtle things throughout it. The ultimate payoff is so crazy and wild, but despite the fact that it's kind of this intense burst of, I would, I mean, I guess I'll say it, violence. Oh, yeah. But it still feels earned, even though it doesn't match necessarily with some of the lighter elements of the other parts of the movie, because it's so well developed up until that moment. It's interesting that, yeah, he's able to sort of weave this all together. Because, yeah, there's parts of it. it oh, yeah, they throw up a lot of pots and somehow they catch all yeah, of Yeah, it's like there's elements of like a comedy, a drama, a horror movie, like all mixed in at different parts. Like. Yeah, and he has worked in a, a lot of different genres. So you hear that title and you're like, well, this is probably like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I was thinking something like that. And but then the way it starts off, it the, doesn't feel like it's Out of all of that. the genres yeah. it touches, it's probably least right. a horror movie. I would say it's more like somehow a combination of comedy drama and suspense yeah or something it's not unlike the tonal shifts of once upon a time in hollywood even true if you think about it even with the burst of violence yeah most years this would be number one for me it's my number two and my number three was the irishman oh yeah so we've hit all everything except, of course... Right, because my number two was Uncut Gems, so... Yeah, we've hit everything except the thing, the unspoken, which we everyone... spoken the title of multiple yeah, times. Yeah, and everyone has to know what it is. It's a f- fucking disaster to me that this movie's not going to win Best Picture, which I've kind of gone back and forth since it was released in July, but yeah, I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood... At various points, I convinced myself it would win Best Picture, and now I'm pretty sure it won't. Right. Even though when it first came out, I didn't necessarily think that it would, because it came out in the middle of the summer, and I know, I mean, I not know, that I want to get into it, but there's always so much drama around yeah, Tarantino. I know. I, know. I, don't, I don't know what else there is to say about this. I pretty much love everything about this movie. I think everything is great in it. I love It's a masterpiece. The it's vibe. one of his best movies. I love the acting. I mean, I it love t- the writing. I mean, I know you had gems at number two, but it took it would take a really, really special movie for me to be better than Parasite in a given year, and this is that movie. Okay. 
I watched it four times in the theater. I haven't seen yeah. a movie that many times in the theater in forever. I saw it twice in the theater and would have gone back for more viewings for I sure. I just got a new bigger TV. It's the first movie I watched. It also and I, I the fifth time was just as good as the first four, and at the end I was like ba- basically bursting into tears. Yeah, it also made me excited about movies in a way that I haven't been in a long time. Like when it was coming out. Even I'm not afraid to spoil the things a little bit more with this movie. So if okay. you haven't yeah. seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet, I would say, hey, actually get your list ready. Okay. My, no, my number 10 was A Hidden Life. Number 9, The Nightingale. Number 8, Knives Out. Number 7, Midsummer. Number 6, Little Women. Number 5, Uncut Gems. Number 4, Under the Silver Lake. Number 3, The Irishman. Number 2, Parasite. Number 1, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You okay. can do yours real yep. quick. Uh, number 10 for me, Hustlers. Number 9, Midsummer, number eight, nineteen seventeen, number seven, The Farewell, number six, Dark Waters, number five, The Irishman, number four, Joker, number three, Parasite, and number two, Uncut Gems. So if you want to check out now, go ahead. If you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet, but I I'm gonna give some vaguely spoilery kind of comments here because I just I get so infuriated sometimes when I see people not understanding sure. this movie or not embracing okay. this movie I just <laughs> are think you gonna that mansplain end, it to us you can of course appreciate the movie as a fairy tale as a what if as a saving not only Sharon but her unborn baby and her friends and everyone that was murdered not only that night August 8th, but the next night at the La Bianca house and the people that were murdered there. And that is a very reasonable interpretation. And I think that's a big part of it. And I do think that Quentin in his kind of almost like childish wonder of projecting what he thinks are, are the types of people that are heroes, like a stunt man and a TV cowboy can, oh, yeah. can be his avatar to save the damsel in distress. It's, it's reductive maybe, to women but it, it 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 comes from a very innocent childlike place of wanting to save somebody which he's sort of done with his revisionist histories right i love the idea of taking these characters and have them be our heroes and just overcoming what he understands that villains. he's not cool enough to be the person to, sh- to save sharon tate so oh, right, he will yeah. instead create the characters of things that he loved and that they will stand in for him and that, of course, is fine. But I think the real salvation beyond just Sharon and her friends and her unborn baby is America because it's largely believed that the Manson murders ended the 60s, ended the oh, dream yeah. of the 60s, ended the hippies, ended the peace and love, well, that's and changed America forever. Yeah, absolutely. And now we live in the era where we're just mesmerized by killers all the time. We just talk well, about even just like the lack of trust. Like, I mean, I've, I've talked about it with sure. you before. I mean, yeah. there was somebody living in the guest house on the Polanski estate. That was just like some young kid who was not a part of the entertainment industry. Did not really know Roman Polanski or Sharon Tate personally. Just was some dude. It's like stuff like that. Like unlocked doors, the trust, the way right. that these yeah. hangers on, and drifters were able to get close to people like Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys and uh, eventually know where the property of Sharon Tate was and just walk right onto it. This whole naive trust, this innocence, America's innocence was kind of 
ripped out from under it. Now, you can debate whether it should have been there in the first place. I mean, it's not like the Manson murders were the first murders ever or anything. But, you know, right. I think he was kind of saying, like, well, not, not only how would Sharon and everything directly involved be different, but, like, how would everything be different? Yeah, we should make a movie where the heroes of it stop the Janet Jackson <laughs> halftime show from happening. <laughs> yeah, and instead, Hart plays alone yeah, at right. the halftime in 2004. And, like, we'd be on a completely different trajectory. Trump never would have been an elected president. <laughs> It's a beautiful movie. It's a love letter to a time and a place. The performances are are magnificent. I love everything about it. I think it's it's, it's maybe the best that both. I mean, I mean, it's so hard to say because DiCaprio has been so great in so many movies. I but know. It's for me, other than maybe Fight Club, it's it's the best Brad Pitt's maybe ever been. Yeah, I, I, and that the includes is so great good. movies like Seven, which. No offense, I mean, I think other people could have done that. I mean, this is like Brad Pitt is like at his peak movie star coolness sure. in this movie. And DiCaprio is off the charts good in it. Margot Robbie is just the angelic center As always, of it yeah. with her beautiful feet. And <laughs> everybody's great in it. The Spawn Ranch scene, one of the best sequences of the year, for yep. sure. And it, it almost it ignites something in me, just the wonder around movies in Hollywood in a way that I, I feel like I've been turned off to for quite a while. Like it really brought back that feeling for me of loving the movie industry and the feeling of like summer movies. Yeah. You could make the case that had this movie been released around Thanksgiving or something, it would be a lock for best picture. Like if it had just come out a few months later. Yeah. But I loved it being like a July yeah, movie. Yeah. It was the best thing for for the movie as far as box office probably rather than awards and it it just came out at the right time during a real down year as far as money making for original ip and a a year where almost every movie in the top 10 was a disney movie that was part of some bigger thing and disney had like six billion dollar movies that came out in 2019 just kind of a, a very sad indication of where we're headed totally and despite the fact that there <laughs> not were a optimistic. lot of quality movies not all of them made a lot of money and this came out and was a big hit you know they tried to kill this movie too not nearly as hard as they tried to kill joker well yeah but you know a lot of people just really have it in for tarantino yeah there was right a lot now. of hit pieces on this one too yeah i don't know i mean it's hard to get over the Harvey Weinstein stuff, and I think that okay, I get will it, but... rightly always probably be an asterisk next to Quentin's name because you know among not like he's the only one, but he's among a lot of people that probably did not do enough to stop whatever was happening. But whatever, I mean, to me, who who's to say? I, we don't know what these people <laughs> knew. I don't know. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a movie that would have easily cruised into my top ten of the the decade had we waited and done that list later oh yeah <laughs> but you know some yeah, people were doing sure. their lists early we were we burned it when we needed some give us a second ideas yeah but yeah i mean i think maybe parasite would be on my top 10 of the decade as well wow yeah top 10 of the decade uh revisited might be an episode yeah we we'll could. see we need some ideas for give us a second so <laughs> we will come back with part three after the oscars where we can That's really true. we're not done yeah comment on everything even though i hope it's not 1917 i hope it's a surprise i feel like 
it'll be funny because I'll say this and then like fucking Jojo Rabbit or something will win. Oh yeah, right. But like I think it's really between 1917, Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and maybe The Irishman. Although that seems like out of everything, that seems like that's really stalled with yeah. little to no momentum. But the other ones don't seem to have as much of a chance. I guess you can't dismiss Joker outright because of the number of nominations. But I I would be shocked if that won. Sure. All right. I think the way they do things now, there's less surprises at the Oscars. It's not as fun. Last year, we were a little surprised that Olivia Coleman won Best Actress, but usually the acting categories are pretty much a lock. It seems like they are this year as well. Yeah. Hopefully, there'll be a couple surprises, though. I think it is possible they will split Best Director and Best Picture, but that happens a lot It now, seems like so it's happening. Yeah, that's more the norm now. That, that could happen. So okay. maybe... Maybe Quentin will not win Best Director, but he could maybe maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could still win. That would be awesome. Yeah, I hope he like wins something and comes up and gives another one of those speeches about how great he is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening. We'll come back with part three after the Academy Awards, and we'll keep on with the regular episodes. If you notice, we didn't abandon a full week of episodes, a new episode, just to do the Give Us a Second. That's true, We're giving yeah. you tons of content. Keeping it rolling. Yep. This is our busy season other than Greatest October. Yeah. I had a dream. I, and I you wanna recently. know what? I'm getting excited for one trashy summer to come back. Yeah, that's true. I had a dream like within the last week or two where I was like, Oh, it's time to do Greatest October already. We were like getting ready to record our October episodes. Wow, I wish. And then we when could I woke up I was like, Man, it is so far away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. When I was seventeen It was a very good year It was a very good year For small town girls And soft summer nights We'd hide from the light On the village green When I was seventeen When I was twenty-one Thirty-five. 
It was a very good year It was a very good year For blue-blooded girls of independent means We'd ride in limousines Their chauffeurs would drive When I was 35 But now the days are short I'm in the autumn of the year And now I think of my life As vintage wine from fine old kegs From the brim to the dregs It poured sweet and clear Leslie and I have been together five years. We have an amazing relationship, and it's very physical. I mean, he still pushes all my buttons, and, um, you know, people say, oh, but he's so much older than you, and you know what? I'm the one having to push him away. <laughs> yeah, we both have so much in common. We both love soup, and uh, we love the outdoors. Uh, we love snow peas and uh, talking and not talking. Uh, we could not talk or talk forever and still find things to not talk about. 